All right, as a kid, I used to love when my parents would sit down and play a game with us or do any activity. And right here in our hands, we have the KiwiCo box, which is the activity of all activities for young kids. The colorful chemistry set, to be specific. So with Drew and Jet and Bear, we try to have really intentional playtime. And that's hard because they're all different ages and kind of in different developmental kind of phases of life. I love with KiwiCo that each month we get boxes specific to their ages and kind of like the activity development phase that they're in. So each box, this one's the colorful chemistry set. Um, this has to do with science, but especially with Bear, it can be really hard with a four month old to know like how to interact with him where he needs to be at four months old. And I love in these crates, they actually have cards that say, here are activities or things you can do specific to Bear that will help him identify colors or whatever it is. I love KiwiCo. There's always something new for kids to discover, like learning about the science of ice cream, engineering robots, or doing science experiments, which our kids have loved yes. recently. Sean is currently holding, as she said, the Colorful Chemistry Kit, which has provided hours of entertainment for our kids. They look forward to their new crate every month, and this one kept him really engaged. We got to experiment with mixing oil and water, mixing different colors, and watching how different things react. It was so fun. We basically created our own little chemistry lab with the kids, and we could feel their excitement when they got to play around and mix things together. Plus, it barely made a mess, so it was really quick to clean up and to use again another day. It can be hard to find creative ways to keep your children engaged, challenged, and off their screens, but KiwiCo does the work for you, so you can spend quality time tackling projects together. Redefine learning with play. Explore projects that build confidence and problem-solving skills with KiwiCo. Get 50% off your first month of any crate at KiwiCo.com when you use code COUPLE. That's 50% off your first month at KiwiCo.com. Promo code COUPLE. What's up, everybody? Welcome uh, back to Couple Things. We shot an Andrew. A podcast all about couples. And the things they go through. We absolutely loved this interview today with... Mallory Wegman and her husband, Jay Snyder. Let me just give some info on Mallory. Go ahead and dive into it, baby. Yes. Multiple gold medals at the Swimming World Championships. 2012 Paralympics. 2016 Paralympics. Legend. 2020 Paralympics. Legend. Best female athlete with a disability. SB award winner. Legend. I mean, it goes on and on and on. She's amazing. She has the most amazing story in her perspective on... How the world sees her in her actual reality is really, really powerful. So Sean mentioned she competed at the Paralympic Games. She tells a story of how that came to be and why she was competing at those certain games, mm -hmm. uh, which is a wild story. It's yes. a wild story. I, I, I think about it. I'm like, you've yes. epidurals. Yep. Anyway, she'll give in. Uh, she'll dive into the details and uh, curious to hear your thoughts listening. But they also talk about how. Mallory and Jay met. Yes, which is awesome. They were kind of working together, and <laughs> yes. then the rest unfolded. It's a great story. Uh, and they're also pregnant, so we're very excited for them. Can't wait to see how that story unfolds. And uh, if you want to find out more about Mallory and Jay, we'll link their information down below. They're coming out with a documentary. I know. I story. will be the first to watch this. It's going to be amazing. Where can, where can we stand in line to, to have you be the first? Uh, you need to be the first one. Yes. To see it. I don't know yet. I will find the Find answer. the line. Yes. Okay. Anyway, Deal. thank you, Mallory and Jay, for joining us. We had a blast. And we hope you also have a blast as you listen to this episode. Anyway, let's go ahead and roll into this episode with Mallory and Jay. Mallory, Jay, pleasure to meet you. Thanks for joining us today. Awesome to meet you guys. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. We're excited to be here. Yeah. 
Have you guys ever done a couple, uh, an interview together? We have. We yeah. have. We've done okay. a few. This past year, more than ever. Normally, he uh, he lets me me run the show on those, and then this past year, he's he's joined the party, which has been really fun. Yeah, I'm usually the guy behind the scenes, but now I'm sitting right next to you. Uh huh. <laughs> Mallory, I was reading through your entire like incredible resume, and I have so much respect. But I was wondering. Is there any chance we crossed paths in 2008? Gosh, not in 2008. I think in 2012, going into the 2012 games, we shared a partner. But I don't think would we have ever been at the same event. Maybe P&G. Yep. But I don't know if we were ever at the same event or just on the ambassador team at the same time. So I'm not sure. I like was reading through all of your Olympic experience and I was like, wow. Dude. Yeah, it's impressive. And he, well, here we are, Jay, you and I, just the only non-Olympians <laughs> yeah. in the room here. A bunch yeah. of schmucks, you know? Yeah, former uh, former kicker played at Syracuse. Yes, let's go. Special team. I did okay. not know that. Wait, where'd you play? Uh, Syracuse. Whoa. Holy crap. Whoa, yeah. hold on. That did not come up in our background. No, it didn't. <laughs> Wow. And then he uh then he married a swimmer who knew nothing about football. And so when we were dating, I straight up bought football for dummies so wow. I could learn the game. <laughs> and now wow. full fledged Viking fans, Syracuse oh, yeah. fans. Yeah, we're yeah. We got it down. And I even got him in the pool. So we're we're kind of bri- we're bridging the two worlds. Is he a good swimmer? No. Um, he's probably about how Andrew is on a balance beam. Hey, hey, what are we, are we doing shots? <laughs> I will say, early on, I was like, just this will be fun to get a football player in a gymnastics gym. Yeah. It's I just, was I was just like, we have a long, long way to go, babe. Yeah. Yeah. It's not natural for his body to do the water thing and probably your body to be oh. in in a gymnastics gym versus like for Sean, it's her element. She's been doing it since she was a type. For me, it's all I know. Yeah. Like you don't want to see me throw a football. Yeah, well, don't cite my sources here when I say this, but I think specialists, you and I, as as you know, kicker, long snapper, we're we're so much more athletic that we didn't even like we didn't even need to learn the fundamentals of like swimming or balance. <laughs> it was just we were straight to the yeah. to the top of the food chain there. Exactly, but, exactly. Yeah. That's what we're going That's why with. they call specialists. Wait, so Mallory, speaking of swimming, the. The thing that fascinates me more than anything, I had to reread this probably a hundred times. I was like, wait, what are you, what do you mean you swam in like a massive world competition at 26 weeks pregnant? Yeah. So I raced in December at national championships, 26 weeks pregnant. We didn't know what to expect going in. It was kind of like, I just wanted to do it to share it with little one because I've been a competitive swimmer since I was seven. Like I've always done the sport. And then first day out of the bat, ended up taking silver in the 50 fly. And I was like, okay, not too bad. And then in true fashion, of course, I did the 200 IM on the last day. Like I didn't just keep it at 50s. Um, But it was so fun. And it's so cool because, I mean, Paris is next year now. Like we're in 2023. It's literally next year. And so I think having the moment when Jay's in the stands with Babe, and I'm swimming, and then to tell little one, whoever they are, like you and Mama did this together at one point when we were pregnant, will be so special. So we loved it. It was a little crazy. I think some people are like, "Wait, what, what, you know, isn't pregnancy the chance you get to like just give your body like a rest?" You sw- you swam butterfly pregnant? 
I did. What? Yes. I was going to say, wait, can I just ask the, like, the logistics of this? Does it feel different swimming? It's okay. So it is kind of, it is kind of funny because I did not train starts at all during, well, I haven't trained starts at all during pregnancy because there's, there's no need to. So I'm swimming I'm staying active. I'm lifting. When we went to nationals, Jay was on the pool deck on the training day. And I was like, we should probably have me try a start to figure out how I'm going to get off the starting blocks. So I sit with my knees to my chest. That's how I adapted my, my start when I was paralyzed and I rock forward onto my feet. So I'm like in a ball and I rock forward and a 26 week baby bump has to fit somewhere in all that ball. And then I throw myself off the starting blocks with my arms and make something that looks like a dive. So she's on the sideline. She's like, can you record me during, during practice? I'm sitting here like this looking, uh, I think think it looks good. Heart's racing. It looks great, babe. You're doing great. And he's like, not looking. I'm like, do you want to watch? No, no, no. I'm, I'm good. I'm so good. So she does the first one and I'm like, okay, we're good. We're, everything's good. Everything's fine. We're all good. And it looked just like your normal it starts. Like normal start. It's just, a little slower. Yeah. It's a little slower. Okay. Uh, but I have a lot of questions five, on that. Yeah. You ride the yeah. water different, right? You know, like you're pregnant. Your, your center of gravity is a little off. You, I obviously don't have a kick that's making up for any of the back end. So We've yeah. got my legs that are always dragging. And then now we've got my belly that's growing, which is normally basically my quote unquote legs, if you will, that like makes up for that and helps get me through the pool a little bit better. So my body position was a little off. My, uh, let's call it the fast twitch muscles weren't as fast twitch as they normally are, but we were moving. But still, the yeah. fact that you were swimming at all and you got a silver, I was like, I feel like I would sink to the bottom pregnant. I distinctly remember trying to swim once when I was pregnant and I couldn't do it. Like, I felt like I was literally like doggy paddling. Try to do the butterfly next time. <laughs> Think about <laughs> no, that. I don't know how to do the butterfly period. I mean, the physics are pretty, pretty interesting though. Cause you know, on the, on the negative side of things, you have increased drag as you were talking about, but <laughs> yeah. then you have increased buoyancy, which probably helps. I mean, it's like, uh, I wonder which outweighs which, I but don't know. Do I would love to hear how you two met. How we met. Do you want to? You can go. You start, you, and then I'll, I'll chime in. <laughs> you want to let me start this one? Yeah, let's go. All right. Uh, so Jay and I met through work. Um, Jay was actually my brand manager off the bat. So Jay started his own agency years ago, and I was his first Paralympic client. And we started working together going into the London 2012 Games. And we both just... Life fell happens. head over heels in love with one another. And now, you know, all these years later, we own the business together. We're married. And we look at that time and I'm like, oh, remember that one time when we would awkwardly do like client dinners and neither of us knew which way to read it as we realized we were starting to like totally fall in love with each other. And it was like not this quick, this slow progression of like, oh, he's cute or oh, I'm attracted to her or any of that stuff. It was like we went from being completely oblivious to the fact that we had a connection, yep. right? Yep. Like, I think my family had us together before we even realized we were interested in each other because they spent enough time with him in London. And then like we went from oblivious yeah. to just, like, literally head over heels in love overnight, it felt like. Well, it's serendipity at its finest, I always say. We were at the 2011 SB Awards. She was nominated she ended up winning an sb and i was in the crowd sitting in front of her parents yeah 
and I saw, you know, the story comes up and I was like, what an amazing story. We said like a quick hello, congrats, you know, I congratulate our parents. We never met. We never met. Fast forward a week later, we're in an event in New York. There she is wheeling up on stage. It's like, who is this? You know, and next thing you know, we start talking, start working together. We also never met that night though. No. We connected over email and that was, guys, that was back before like you could stalk on Instagram efficiently. (laughs) Like we didn't have social media to sit and stalk each other. And I saw you that night. I was there with my date at the time and I, you and I caught eyes a few times that night. It was at a rooftop event out in the city and I was like, oh, he's cute. And long and short, I was looking for representation at the time. We ended up getting connected on email we're emailing. I had no idea who Jay Snyder was, what he looked like, nothing about him. My dad met him first. I signed on as a client and the whole story ends up with in like October or November. Now he ends up in Minnesota for our first meeting. And my dad's like, why don't we meet at the pool? Mal will be practicing. We can go get lunch after I'm in the middle of my workout and Jay comes in and my dad's like, Jay, so good to see you. So I'm at the wall and lift my goggles up And I literally said, oh, shit, it's the hot guy from New York. (laughs) Oh, my God. I was like, no, no, this cannot be happening right now. And here we are. And uh, years later. Now we're here. Yeah. Wait, but Jay knew all along that it was you. You were the only one who didn't make the connection yet. So, Jay, in like full transparency, was there any like subconscious? I want to like represent her, assign her just because I want to get to know her. No, honestly, I think it literally was pure business to start. And then, True. you know, life happened and we just connected on a, a level that no, I've never connected with anybody else before. And life just continued to evolve and happen. And it was a couple of moments of like, oh boy, oh boy, if we're going to do this, this is, this is it. This is our long term. And I think we had several conversations and next thing you know, she melted my ice because she used to call me an ice king oh, she's like would you Sorry. have an emotion would you just like share what you're feeling please and i was like no 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 like I, i'm holding it close to the chest and next thing you know like the icebergs melted and flowing everywhere now oh gosh he was I, that's why it's so funny i laugh like when you ask that question because so many people are like so hang on a second you knew who she was yeah. but she didn't know who you were and i'm like nope i yeah. i can totally vouch for it, it was all work because that version of jay was like so singular focused on business. Yeah. He had like, you had connection to your personal emotions. I'm not going to be that harsh, but you were very time. guarded. Yes. Very guarded. Yeah. Did that confuse the business relationship once you guys got past that point? You know, it's interesting. So we chose to keep our relationship private until we got engaged. Yeah. So we dated just family, friends, A few close colleagues knew, but it was kind of the unspoken. We just didn't lead with it, Um, which was really special if you think about it, right? There was no pressure of like being on social or what were we, anytime we were together or doing stuff, it was just us. It wasn't anybody from the outside world in it. Um, And for us, for working together, I think since we worked together previously, it wasn't weird to work together now that we were dating and even now through marriage, we own the business together. And so when we looped production into TFA group, that became the moment where we merged the business and we both became co-owners. So we worked yeah. together, not just on still on my brand capacity, because you're still technically my brand manager. 
Um, but we, we still, we work together as well on, on the production side. And so it's been really unique because it's all we know, like Mm -hmm. that's how we fell in love. And so it's, it's just grown with us. And it's funny when we got engaged and shared publicly, a lot of our work colleagues were like, finally, finally. Okay. Like we knew this all along. Like, this is great. We're excited. We had one person who was like, really? I had no idea. And I was like, yeah, I feel like that might be a little bit of a reflection of your awareness, right? <laughs> that's a you issue, not yeah. us. Yeah. Uh, that's fun because, uh, I, well, I feel like there's a lot of similar events that were pivotal in your relationships as with ours. 2012 uh, Olympics is kind of how Sean and I met, mm-hmm. too, and then the ESPYs were special. But, uh, Mallory, if you don't mind sharing about your incident, because mm-hmm. I was listening to your, your TED Talk and... Uh, I was blown away at the, I I read initially routine medical procedure, but then when I heard what it was, I was like, wow, really? I I mean, those are very routine. So if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about uh, what happened in January, 2008. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting because we're now at 15 years, right? Like every year we celebrate the anniversary of my paralysis and this year celebrating 15 years while being pregnant with our first kiddo settled in our home. There were so many different emotions for it because, you know, I was 18 years old. I walked in, I was getting an epidural injection for back pain. It was my third and supposed to be kind of my final one of the series. There really wasn't a lot of thought that went into that this could go any different than how it had, where I go in in the morning, I leave in the afternoon, I'm back at class the next day. And obviously, as the story goes, that is not how it went. Um, I was due to complications, literally paralyzed on impact during the epidural. And that's a, uh, it's a tough thing at eight. I mean, it's a tough thing at any age, but it was two months before my 19th birthday. Like I was, I was just a kid figuring out what life meant. I mean, in this year when we celebrated, it was so interesting because it's like, there was no version of me, obviously when it happened, but even in the few years following that saw this is what my life would be right? Like mm-hmm. I, I had no idea I'd gone to become a three-time Paralympian. There was no scope of understanding that that was even something in, that was possible because think about like 2008, we didn't have social the way we have it. We certainly had even less disability representation in society than we have now 15 years later. And we're still fighting for it 15 years later. And so I think there was just such a lack of understanding of what could life with a disability look like because there really wasn't a path forward for what it could look like. That was obvious to me. Um, so yeah, it was, it was really interesting, but I think the the kind of common denominator that Jay and I always talk about, just as you heard our love for sport, sport was the thing that pulled me through. I mean, I had been a competitive swimmer since I was seven years old and I just happened to get back in the water two and a half months after my injury, not thinking like, Oh, I'm going to go to the next Paralympic games, but thinking, I just need a place to go. I mean, you guys probably to some element, it's so ingrained in who you are. You have a hard day. You have a hard season. It's where you want to go. It's where you mentally clear your mind. It's where you process. It's all of those things. And so for me, getting back in the water, the black line was like the thing that connected me to this quote unquote past life, which is how it felt at the time while also meeting me in the moment that I was at and kind of leading me into something in my future, whatever that something could have been. How did your relationship change with swimming 
after the incident? Because I feel like when your passion was swimming in a certain context yeah. and then having to almost relearn a sport and almost being slightly traumatic, mm-hmm. how did you balance relearning and finding a passion for a sport that was a part of your life before? Yeah, because your parents were swimmers too, right? My sisters were swimmers. Oh, That's what that said. So it was very much a family thing, right? So I'm the baby of yeah. three girls. Um, and, you know, luckily, Sean, I wasn't like this rock star swimmer before my paralysis. <laughs> I say that jokingly. My coach will always correct me. He's like, because my current coach was my high school swim coach. So Amazing. for Rio and Tokyo, now going into Paris, my coach now is who coached me through high school and coached my two older sisters. But the funny wow. thing is, is, you know, people automatically assume like, oh, you went on to have this career after your paralysis. You must have been a rock star prior. I mean, I swam varsity all four years. I was captain of the team. I never went to state. I wasn't this nationally ranked swimmer. I wasn't going to, you know, a D1 school on scholarship. Like at the time of my injury, I just graduated high school. Eight months prior, I thought swimming would be something I loved to do recreationally, but I wanted to transfer out of state to KU and study journalism. So I was like, I don't know that I want to walk on. I want to study abroad, da, da, da. So long and short, like when I got back in the water, for me, there was almost this freedom to just explore with the pool again and like have fun being curious. There were things that were challenging. Um, They brought me in the pool for pool therapy when I was in the hospital. Mm -hmm. And that was super traumatic because it was so different. I mean, they wheeled me in in a wheelchair. I was in this warm therapy pool with PTs. It was the first time I realized I couldn't feel the water on my legs. And that like flipped me out. And at that point, I said, I'm never going back to the water because I don't want to replace this place that was like my sanctuary and hate safe haven with all these negative emotions. And then the 2008 Beijing Paralympic trials happened in Minnesota at the University of Minnesota. We saw it in the newspaper. I went as a spectator. Next thing I knew, two days later, I was back at the U of M. And thinking about like, maybe if I'm in a pool with a black line, like a true pool, it's different. And, and it was, I mean, yeah, it was a learning curve. Everything was different, but at the same time, the fundamentals were the same. That black line is the same black line that trails every pool, no matter where in the world you go or what in the world you're going through. And there was so much comfort in the idea that not everything in my life had shifted. There was something I could go to that was still the same constant. What year did you two meet in 2012, 2012. 2011, yeah. So, fall, 2011. Yeah. 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 How was, I mean, was there anything unique about the dating process or getting to know each other that was a result of this? I don't think so. You never really, we never really talked about it. No. Like, I mean, you kn
I didn't know how to carry a purse. I'm like, what? what is the point of a purse? Like, what, I'm going to set it yeah. on my lap and wheel around? Yeah. And you found this, like, slingback crossbody kind of, like, saddlebag. Yep. Back when, like, one of those coach know. bags, back when those were, like, everyone had the slingback saddlebag. Um, yeah, I think I'm got me say, wearing a purse. Yeah, and I think some of those things where we, we would talk more about what are the things you want to do, right? What yeah. do you want to go back to? Scuba diving. We went scuba diving. You carried me into the ocean for the first time. For the first time. That was probably our, that moment. That was the moment that I think for us really hit us. We weren't dating yet. We were at an event down in in Florida at the Breakers. And water's right there. And you want to go in? You said, I haven't been in since 2008. Well, let's go. Got on my back and walked right in and went swimming. And just it was and you're like, like I'm gonna marry that. Sounds girl. like a safe <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I think Wait. that looking back for both of us, it's so funny because we didn't have our aha moment for a few months later. Yeah, I don't know, guys. I don't know how we didn't know. Like we are, we are oblivious right. because we had those moments and we were just like laughing and yeah. having a ball on our work trip. <laughs> the two of us down on the beach, like just completely oblivious to what was going on in front of us. Are you looking for a short, educational, and entertaining podcast your kids can listen to while you cook dinner, fold laundry, or just need a few minutes to yourself? Then check out Mysteries About True Histories by Starglow Media. It's so, so cute. I listened to a few episodes, and when it was over, I was like, dang, that was really fun. It's made by the creators of the hit podcast, Who Smarted, and the Netflix show Brainchild, so these people know what they're doing. As a little background info, every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers on an adventure through time, packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs, making learning really cool. The series explores themes like the stories behind math, critical thinking, code breaking, pattern solving, and more. So it's perfect for kids ages six and up. There's a new episode every Thursday, each filled with so much laughter that your kids won't even realize how much they're learning. So tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Kind of a hard question. And I I don't know how to like navigate this, but we've interviewed before. We have other friends that we, we talk to a lot who are kind of like <clears throat> in a similar situation, just inter-disabled or inter-abled. Inter-abled. Inter-abled is what they say, use, yeah. which I love. And we've talked a lot with them about this lack of a better word, horrible stigma that this world decides to like put on interabled relationships and couples. And they're like, well, this can't be true. Like people look at it from the outside perspective of, oh, there must be something there that whatever it might be, it's the comments and they're, they're horrible that people try to draw these conclusions to, but within your relationship, what have you guys had to navigate in in kind of putting off the naysayers and being like, look, we're no different than anybody else. This is actually true love. Why Why do you think this world has this perspective and stigma? And then how have you guys navigated it? Oh, gosh. I wish I had the answer for why. I, yeah. I think there's an element of when we talk about it's hard to become what you don't see. It's also hard to conceptualize what you don't see, right? So if there's a lack of representation of a very, very large demographic of our society, 15% worldwide is our disability population. If there's a lack of authentic representation in our world, what that does is it means I don't see a path forward to what's possible, but it also means society at large 
doesn't see me actively engaged in our world as an, as an individual that contributes to it. So when you see me roll about, you see me now with my husband, you see me pregnant. I mean, Sean, the amount of things since just being pregnant that come our way, because I'm a woman in a wheelchair who's pregnant. And obviously what type of mother could I be? I mean, people actually say that stuff and you're like, it's jarring, but then there's also this realization where there is almost now like this responsibility where the more we can be vocal, the more we can be out, the more we can show that this is actually normal, mm-hmm. normal. Yeah. And this is a part of the way our world works. And I think part of it is people don't see it. And so when they do see it, it's weird to them and they don't understand it because we don't have rom-coms that have interabled relationships as the stars of the rom-com. We don't see that growing up. We don't turn on our TV and watch the storyline of our favorite scripted show that's showcasing something that represents disability or a love story like ours. Um, but I would say our biggest thing that we've had to navigate is this society. We say it, it all the society. time. Yeah. No, we, I mean, the stairs, the going through the airport holding hands, and you could just feel the stairs. Now, even more so as you're wheeling about seven months pregnant. Pregnant. And just seeing it, it is, it it does get tough at times where it's just, you know, why can't it just, why can't it be normal? Why can't we just do this without comments, without comments, going to the grocery store, worrying about Mallory's getting a a yogurt. Somebody's going to say some asinine comment to her and it's going to change the the day because of one person's ignorance and unconscious Mm -hmm. bias. It's a struggle. We literally talk about it every day. Well, there's this perception we face, and I've had people say it directly to me, sadly, um, where they think Jay, and he is in his own way, but not for this reason, is this saint because he sacrificed his future to be with me. Mm -hmm. And it's this mind-blowing idea where it's like, Literally, you just see the four wheels and you assume then all the stigmas and misconceptions that go with disability are true, which generally they're not at all. And you basically make this assumption that not only can I not contribute to society, but I'm just a burden for the people in my life who love me. And it's so weird. And I think that part of this conversation, though, is when we started going through our infertility journey and we went through IVF, um, for years, everybody's assumed that I won't be able to have children because I'm in a wheelchair. And then once I got past that barrier, it was Did that you assume that? He didn't, no. No. Spoiler. Did you, Mallory? Was there any part of you where there was like, this isn't going to happen? You know, early on, it was the question I was afraid to ask. Yeah. yeah. Like the first four or five years after my injury, I just didn't ask because I didn't want to know. And I was 20, you know, early on. I, I wasn't at that place. I wasn't sure. And and that was tough. But then it was also made harder by, in that period of time, it was the 14 months after my paralysis. And I was away at college. And I was in line at Target. And I had a woman look at me as I was playing peekaboo with her daughter in the shopping cart. And she said, I'm so sorry. And I said, Why? And she said Mm -hmm. that you won't be able to have children of your own someday. And I already at least had the wherewithal to know. I don't want to know the answer, but there's a lot of ways you can have a family. And I just said, yeah, but there's a lot of ways that you can build a family. And she said, but no, sweetie, what type of mother could you really be? And it was the first time that I just got blindsided by the 
complete and utter ignorance that is in our world. And I was like, oh, so it's not just can I physically have, you know, get pregnant, carry a pregnancy and deliver a child. The added layer that exists is this unconscious bias that I as a woman, because women are the nurturers, and because I'm disabled and individuals with disabilities can't nurture themselves, so obviously they can't nurture other people, therefore go on down the line, how could I be a mother? And it was mind-blowing. And that was something we talked a lot about when we were dating and when we ultimately got engaged. And and the reality is, is Jay had his own journey with the idea of having children. Yeah. So fast forward, you talk about that ice and how that ice melted. Nobody outside of my parents and family knew that there was a high likelihood that I was infertile mm-hmm. due to some stuff growing up as a kid. And I lived with that. And I held that on because... I think that's the ice that was forming over time. And I never, ever shared that with anybody until Mallory came into my life. And for us, we knew the journey early on that it was going to be different. And when we went to the doctors for her and the doctor said, no, there's going to be no issues with you. It's going to be on my side. So male factor infertility. And I would have for years people coming up to me and say, I'm so sorry, you guys can't have kids. Just random strangers. And I'm sitting here going, you have no idea. Like, this has nothing to do with my wife. This has everything to do with me. And so fast forward to our start of our IVF, I said, I absolutely want to be public. I need to, we need to get this out there because everybody continues to assume our IVF journey, our infertility journey is due to your paralysis and your spinal cord injury. And that's not the case. And it was kind of like these two stigmas that existed, right? Like, Men don't talk about infertility. I mean, that's like the most uncomfortable thing for so many men to sit mm-hmm. here and you've, you've point blank said, I don't have a sperm count. Yeah. And it like makes you see people like in their skin. Cause it's like, you're so not used to hearing a man say that. And so there was that where yeah. you, I remember when you did the first Google search and you like, couldn't find anything that showed stories of other men who had been through this journey but yet the statistic you find is that 50% of couples going through infertility came to infertility through male factor infertility. Mm-hmm. And so it's not like it's not common. It's just not talked about. And then the other side of it was we knew that the natural assumption, because you just don't know what you don't know. Some of it is complete innocent ignorance. Not all of it is hurtful ignorance, if that makes sense. Like some of it's you don't know what you don't know until you're exposed to it. We're perfect examples of that on many conversations. And then some of it is just being a little bit hateful, like the, what type of mother could you be? I won't give that innocent ignorance. Um, but I think in that where, where it all comes to head is there were kind of these two conversations we were unpacking. And then on top of it, me being a female athlete, choosing to stay active in my career through IVF. So first of all, the mother side of me wants to go talk to that lady in Target and be like, I'm sorry. What kind of mother are you to your baby right now who's witnessing this? Just don't approach all ladies in Target and assuming it's that lady. She said I w- that I'm going to go find her because <laughs> that that is that's very hurtful. And that's that's ignorant. Like you said. I'm curious mm-hmm. for you to answer the question. What type of mom do you think you'll be, Mallory? Ooh, I think I'm going to be at least I hope I'm going to be a very empathetic mom. I really, I think our number one job as parents is to not 
just bring our children along into our life, but also live through their eyes, right? Like it's, you know, people all the time, and Sean, you, you probably get this too, like, what about gymnastics? Like everyone, we're, we, baby hasn't even gotten here. It's like, oh, are they going to be a swimmer? And I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, would it be so cool if little one decided they want to swim? Of course it would. But at the end of the day, it's not my job to have my kids fill some void of something I wish I had in my past. It's my job to support them as they grow into their own little person and soon to be someday full-fledged adult and support them in what their interests are and in what they want to pursue and fuel their curiosity and nurture that. And, and hopefully along the way that builds them into these little empathetic human beings that, that can have this capacity to understand that you don't have to understand to have empathy. Like it's okay to face things that are different in this world than what you know to be quote unquote normal you can still have empathy for those circumstances and not fully understand them. And I'm, I'm hoping that with that, you know, Oh, the fun house. We're, we're quirky. Like we yeah. we're, we're, I always joke, we're dorks. Like we're just total dorks. And I think that that'll be fun to bring these kiddos into. And, and ultimately, you know, yeah, hopefully little one has a totally different perspective on things because mom does look a little different than the rest. And they're going to have different experience because of that. But they're also going to, we were doing the math and we're like, oh, March. Okay. Our due date's in March, depending on when they're born. There's a good chance baby will celebrate their third birthday in Italy for the 2026 Winter Paralympic Games. Because we go to both summer and winter. We just work winter versus compete in them. So I'm like, yeah. And they're also going to get different experiences like that, which are pretty, pretty cool, pretty cool, different experiences (laughs) to have. Everyone knows that finding the perfect t-shirt with like the quality and the fit is near impossible. I told you guys that I found Skims while I was pregnant and now postpartum, I found the best nursing bra known to mankind from Skims. Well, they've outdone themselves again because they now have the perfect t-shirt, especially postpartum with a changing body. I can guarantee you, you won't find a t-shirt like it. I love also that Skims has a fit for everyone from the long t-shirts to the cropped, They truly have like sizes and qualities and styles for every single thing you could want. So the cotton jersey t-shirt is the one that I'm talking about. It is an absolute staple. I feel like I'm reaching for it literally every day, especially nursing with bear. It's breathable and soft and it somehow gets even softer and still holds its shape after every wash. If I could only recommend two of the Skims t-shirts, I would say the cotton jersey t-shirt, which I have in mineral, or the boyfriend t-shirt, literally in any color, are probably my two favorite t-shirts that they make. Shop the Skims t-shirt shop at skims.com. Now available in sizes extra, extra small to 4X. After you place your order, select podcast in the drop-down menu, select couple things to let them know we sent you. Have a good one. You, you alluded earlier jokingly about the client who couldn't have the awareness to recognize you two potentially, you know, budding a romance there. But I think that that term... Awareness was really interesting. As I was listening to your TED Talk, it struck me, you said multiple times how it's not what happens to you, it's how you respond to what happens to you. Um, and I think that is so profoundly beautiful. Because like even, I mean, I'm talking to Mallory here. It's, and it's not like when the uh, incident that caused your paralysis happened, Mallory left. Like it's, you're still the same Mallory. And I think even though even though like the adversity or whatever circumstances may have amplified 
it provided an opportunity for your response and the true like personality characteristics and traits to also be amplified, which is like, it's really kind of cool. And it also applies to this lady in target who's like, I think just that, like that level of awareness where, Hey, we all have these gut reaction instincts, right? And Hey, when, when you find out you're paralyzed, gosh, it's, it's probably fine to have that initial reaction be sad, sadness and grief. Or like when I see someone different than me, I'm going to have a gut instinct of like curiosity or like, Oh, interest or like to say whatever, but how can we layer, take a step back and create like a level of awareness to be like, okay, well, Oh, let me, let me inject empathy into this situation. And let me, I don't know. I, I, I just think that your story is so cool and such a, um, I think epitome of, of that idea that it's not, it's not what happens. Like you're Mallory and Mallory responds to, um, winning a silver versus a gold in a similar way that she responds to, you know, getting paralyzed, like you're going to handle it and you're going to make the best out of it. So it's I great. You know sport enough to compare those two. Yeah. <laughs> I love that, you know, sport enough to be like, okay, there might be a little bit of an adjustment in this one. Just like there's an adjustment over here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I have so many thoughts. I could go on tangent and just, I respect you guys so much. And you can tell you guys are going to be phenomenal parents. Phenomenal parents. Like, I'm so excited for this little baby because your insight into just the wisdom of being good human beings is what babies need. You don't need, like, it has nothing to do with your abilities to whatever it is out there to raise a good human it has to do with your heart and the those babies aren't going to know any different they're going to see the evil in the world and they're going to see the good in the world and <clears throat> i'm so excited for you guys i could start crying because i'm i have babies myself um and i also think it just goes to say i could get on a pedestal right now but there aren't enough good parents in the world and you guys are obviously phenomenal parents and your baby is so lucky to have you as parents anyways I am curious though <clears throat> going back to your IVF journey I've talked to a lot of couples about IVF journey and just the journey of getting pregnant and it's so hard no matter what your situation is I'm curious how that affected your guys's relationship and how you worked through that because unlike what they teach you in high school of like oh careful don't look at each other. You're going to get pregnant. Really doesn't work that way. No, nope. gosh, <laughs> really difficult. <laughs> and it can be in a really emotional journey and put a lot of tension on a couple. Yeah. You know, I think what's interesting is we have been through so many different things in our relationship that when we ultimately got to the beginning of our IVF journey, first of all, we knew it was coming right? We didn't try to get pregnant for 12 months and we had 12 months of built up frustration and sadness of every month. That's a negative test. And then we found our way to this. We had we, a small window of a doctor telling us, we said, well, should we, can we just try? And he's like, it's nothing. And I was like, just maybe gotcha. no. And so there was a weekend and I remember this, we were in yeah. California. There was a weekend of like three days of letting it sink in, letting all the emotions out and going, okay, we got to pivot. This is what we're going to do. And we're going to go all in. And that's. Well, and mind you, the three days was only possible because 
we found out years prior that this was our reality. Mm-hmm. It's just when we came, when I came home from Tokyo and it was like, okay, now we're going to start this. We were hopeful that maybe we could have like a few months of just feeling normal and having some romance and intimacy in this process of like not having it be straight to the IVF yeah. and just not have that, like just be able to have the normalcy of, Hey, like it's that day and see what happens. And when we had that conversation with Jay's doctor and he was like, you guys can certainly do that, but I just want to set you up with realistic expectations with Jay's tests. You'll be, you'll be lucky through IVF to have children. And so that was really tough. And that's when we realized that you were going to have to have your surgery. Yeah. Like I said, going back to Google searching, I had no idea what, you know, the IVF journey was and what that was going to entail. And this was now October 21. So coming off the high of Tokyo, riding the high, traveling, she's speaking, we're doing a bunch of events. In the meantime, we're doing all these virtual appointments with our doctors of going, okay, here's what the journey entails. And that was tough. The, yeah. the first retrieval was tough because you had to have your surgical retrieval. So that was our only chance to get sperm to give us a chance at children. And they gave us a 40% success rate, but if they were not successful, they would not go back and do it again. They exhaust all options in the first surgery. And so that's your only Whoa. chance. And they time wow. it with your egg retrieval. And so we're simultaneously like filling my body with hormones every day, knowing that there's this day before I go in for my retrieval, he's going in for his surgery. We'll find out on that day before mine, if we have a chance at biological children And then regardless of the outcome, I go in the next day for my retrieval. And it was just this like high intensity. Like you said, we were traveling. We were in Nashville when I started my stimming. I was on book tour. It's all lined up with your cycle. So you don't really get to like wave Mm -hmm. a magic eight ball. And the day hit and my doctor's like, we need you in the clinic tomorrow. We need to do your round of tests. And I was like, I'm in Nashville. So I booked a first flight out in the morning. I flew home. I drove to the clinic. I did the testing. I got in the car. I drove back to the airport, took the next flight out to Nashville. And then we did a date night and we sat on YouTube and watched videos for how to do our injections because we in had hotel room. no idea what we were doing. Oh. And so I think that while there was definitely some really high intensity moments and it was tough, I would say the one thing looking back that we did a really good job on, there's more than one thing, but the one thing that I'm going to say for this mm-hmm. is we found ways to bring intimacy to it. Mm-hmm. Right. Like Good. it just feels so medical and, and you envision how you're going to have kids and you don't envision it being that. And so every night we had our little routine, we lit our candle, we had our little roll on essential oils that we did. We would have a moment, just the two of us as a couple, we would have this routine before I started doing my injections. And that was like our nightly thing where we, we slowed down for a moment and, and honored the fact that Every night, however many nights of this it's going to take and however many months of this it's going to take, this is our way that we're going to have kids. It's not just one moment in time. It is every night we come together as a couple and we choose that we're doing this together. And I think that that was, well, it can be really hard. Yeah. Um, That made it really special. Mm -hmm. 
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sean and I have been open about our journey with marriage counseling, and it's been really helpful for us. We all carry around different stressors, both big and small, and it's important to sort those out so they don't affect your relationships. I agree. And therapy is such a safe space to get things off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. We've been meeting with the therapist individually and as a couple, and it's been a great way to sort through any stressors in the week and have better communication about how we're feeling, which is hard to do when you're busy with kids. BetterHelp is an incredible option if you're thinking of giving therapy a try. It's all online, so it's convenient and flexible with your schedule. It's also nice that you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge, so you make sure it's a good fit for you. We would highly recommend trying it out. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com EastFam today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash EastFam. What was... The reaction was it a phone call or what did you find out in office that you guys when you went in for your retrieval that it was like go time and that there was like a good outcome? Yeah, so we found out after my surgery. So it was about a it was supposed to be a three hour surgery and mine was a little shorter. And so the doctor came in to, to tell Mallory and He was still out was and still- the doctor came to tell me and I was like, I don't want to find out alone. I mean <laughs> yeah. good news is it was good news, but if it hadn't been like yeah. I don't want to be the one breaking the news to my husband. Can't yeah. you break the news to both of us together? Yeah. So she came wheeling in. I'll never forget. I'm eating goldfish. Oh, my God. Because they asked me, what do I want when I'm waking up? And I, they're like, do you want goldfish or you want something crackers or like graham crackers? So I was like, give me the swimmers, I said. And I'm eating, <laughs> I'm eating the goldfish. And I just stopped and I stared at her trying to like figure out, was it, did it work? And she told me it worked and I lost it. He went from like Aww. loopy, you know, post-anesthesia, post-anesthesia. <laughs> talking about the beautiful flower on the wall and his little swimmers to all of a sudden having like this moment of clarity of realizing, oh, and his face just went white. And then I shared and we, we, I mean, we just both lost it. And then we got the call. So this was the week of Thanksgiving. We got the call the morning of Thanksgiving. We we're home with family. She's based and in, there's, there's a photo of her based in a turkey. As the doctor yeah, I was calls supposed to, to take s- it easy. It was the day after my retrieval, but I was like, no, somebody's got to make the brown butter sage mashed potatoes. Like, I don't <laughs> trust anybody with these. And yeah. so long and short, they, they call and we found out that we had nine of the eggs that fertilized. And it obviously there's like then the attrition. And so we ended up with two yeah. viable embryos out of that batch. Wow. But we didn't know, even though we were successful they are a little bit more immature when they're removed in that fashion. And so we didn't know if we'd get fertilized eggs or not. Like that was the whole other barrier we had to get to. So that was really special. Um, Thanksgiving of all days, be able to celebrate. Like we now in fact have a chance at having kids of our own. Oh my gosh. And there's another embryo. So it took both of them to get pregnant with this little one. We lost one in, in April, which was pretty tough. Um, so unfortunately, that was our last one, which is kind of the ongoing conversation again to infertility. Like, what's that journey like and all of that stuff? I mean, it's a constant simultaneous. Like, well, we're so excited to be pregnant with little one. Time isn't necessarily on our side. So what we did was before I got pregnant, we froze eggs. We did another cycle to freeze eggs. Mm-hmm. So then he can do another surgery at some point. So there's a high likelihood that we're going to have a two month old kiddo and he's going to be going back in for a surgery just so we can try to get a couple more embryos just to, freeze. to freeze. So we possibly have a chance at another child after Paris. 
Um, but again, it's so weird because even when you've gone through what he's gone through and it's been successful, it doesn't increase your chance of success the next time because with yeah. time and age, things can also decrease. And so it's a, uh, it's kind of this weird, bittersweet thing, yeah. right? Cause like, we're so excited about little one, but we don't just get to enjoy little one. Cause if we wait till we're ready for a second child, our door will basically almost guaranteed be closed. And so we kind of have to live in both at the same time, which is when it's hard you get I, good at, I suppose when you go through hard stuff, right? Like you're like, Andrew, you're talking about, you know, the adversity. I mean, it's just, we all have hard stuff in life and you just learn how to simultaneously yeah. hold both and know that two things can be true at once. Yeah. What I was going to say was it's, it's tough, you know, on the female side, there's hormones, there's shots, there's things potentially that can assist on the male side. It's there's nothing. And I wish that could change. And I hope maybe down the road that could change. But you're kind of just the sitting duck to go, well, I'm 40 now. I'm just going to keep getting older. There's nothing. There's no vitamins. There's nothing that could help our chances other than. Yeah, they have it or you don't. Correct. Yeah. And you had known for a while that there was a chance you're uh, yeah. going to be infertile? So at the age of 13, I had a surgery. And the doctor came out after and just said, I want to let you know, my mom and dad are there, that there's a high likelihood that you'll be infertile as an adult. As a 13-year-old, what does that even mean, right? right. Yeah. You just remember that and that you hold on to that and you do a little research, there's not, nothing out there. You just always have that in the back of your mind. And then you see in society what men are supposed to bring to the table and you're like, well, I, I've been told I can't. You know, what does this even mean? And I'd always hold that close. And I remember when we started dating, like I said, you were the first person that I shared with. Yeah. The first relationship, nobody else knew. And you just looked at me and said, okay, we'll figure it out. Yeah. We got this. Whatever that looks like, whatever form of creating a family, whatever we have to do, we'll figure it out. Yeah. And that's what we've done. Was there a certain moment where you fully realized like the implications of that's it because you said at 13 you couldn't really yeah. comprehend it but was there uh, one moment where i was like okay yeah 20 i think what was it 2017 when we got the actual first test results so back. we we started kind of going through some testing and they do this yeah. semen analysis test and like okay let's just see maybe things change maybe the doctor was just he didn't know what he was talking about so you go and do the test and then of course you get the email notification you have a test result and we're on a flight in salt lake city boarding the plane i'm like well, I guess we're going to check. So you log in the portal and you check and you're reading and you're looking and it's just zeros. You just this is, didn't fill the form out, right? No, no, this is not the form. And it just sunk in. Meanwhile, you have families boarding the plane. And kids, in Salt Lake City, everybody has a kid when they're getting on yeah, that plane. Yeah, everybody's crying. Yeah. You're sitting there and you're just, just stone-faced. I think that was the first time we obviously both did, but even like, I remember it when we found, when we found out you saying like, because you didn't know, you never like went through additional testing afterwards. Mm -hmm. There was just this conversation. Yeah. And I think that was really the first time where it was like, Oh no, 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 this is because prior to that, you know, it's all hypothetical. Like yeah. if you haven't found, you know, even for me on my side, like you haven't, found the person you want to spend your life with. You yeah. say like, oh, I think kids are my future, but what does that look like in actuality until you find the person you want to do this thing called create a family with? Yeah. And um, yeah, that was a really weird 
day. We literally boarded like two minutes later and we pre-board because it's the easiest way for me to get on planes. So we were the first ones on the plane. We were in like the second row and we watched every person board. And it felt like that day, every single person on that plane had a kid with them. Mm-hmm. And I just remember us both just sitting like numb in our seats, feeling the weight of it all. Yeah. Every single one of those families was just showing you your future. Yeah, very true. You have a baby now. A couple more weeks. Yeah, we do. Yeah, now here, here we, are. we are. Here we are. Little one moving and grooving. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious. You, you mentioned that sport is the thing that pulled you through, Mallory. And the, the older I've gotten, the more I've appreciated sport. More like less about the specific whatever activity that you're doing, but more zooming out and like just sport being the canvas where so many other things happen, like the discipline, the the improvement, the goals, the, you know, the feedback and, and the coaching and whatever, just like the excitement. Um, I'm curious, Jay, so you, you kind of are really deep in the sport world. I know you, you help produce some sport related film. What is your, like being in that world and telling stories about that? What are like, what's your perspective on sport and why is it so uh, exciting to you? Uh, sport's been a part of my life since I was a kid growing up playing hockey, baseball, soccer, and then going on to walk on at Syracuse. There's just something about it, as you were mentioning about the, the elements, the life skills that you learn through sport and some of those leadership components, the teamwork components, the feedback, but the ability that sport is a common language, right? It's a global language that people can connect with and through the Paralympic movement, from the onset when I was exposed in 2011 to now, just seeing the impact through that common language of sport that it can connect and unify and people can understand. And so taking kind of the learnings and my passion for sports and taking the the passion for business and marketing and all together, you know, film and media has this way to really transcend and change that perspectives and mindsets. And so Mm -hmm. when you combine the two, I'm just, you see the impact and, you know, I know we're hooked, I'm hooked and and kind of the storytelling aspect and uh, it's pretty powerful. We just actually came back on Monday night. We had a big event down in uh, Dallas, Texas, where we uh, put on an exhibition game of Team USA sled hockey program. So they had the men, uh, the national team development team and four women come together for an exhibition game in front of 2000 individuals. And uh, we broadcasted the event, produced the event, produced features, and just seeing the impact that it had on those 2,000 individuals plus whoever tuned in, it's powerful. It's shifting the narrative. Mm-hmm. And uh, we are going to be doing a lot more. And so we've kind of found our, and I found my why of kind of the history in sports and between sport and entertainment and media, uh, seeing the impact that we can have. When can we get a documentary on your guys' life? It's coming. It's in for post. Seriously? It's called Watershed. Yes. It's it's called Watershed. We are actually the co-directors and then I'm the writer and TFA group is the production house doing it. Um, Uh, And so it is in post-production right now. Yep. There's a little bit of filming that's still happening because we're simultaneously in post-production, but we are covering pieces of the pregnancy journey. Um, I was going to say, little one. Yeah. Yes. yes. Little, very little one is a big part of it. So it is, it's a feature length doc. Uh, and we are so extremely excited about it. We've been working on it for years. 
we have a remarkable team. Um, and it's, it's our story, but it's also the universal story of humanity, right? Like, like I was saying, we all have hard stuff. It's not just, Oh, you know, she's paralyzed. I can't, I can't measure up to that. I don't know what that's like. It's like, yeah, but we all have sudden moments of impact. We all have these moments in our lives that come completely out of left field that we are not planning or anticipating that change how we perceive the world around us. And those moments, well, they don't define us. They shape us. They give us perspective. They give us clarity. They maybe even have us force us to step back and kind of question our purpose and our, our being of like, why are we doing this thing? What are our priorities? And so I think what's really neat is within watershed, there's this underlying kind of story about just humanity at large and how we evolve as individuals in a society and how we move through this journey and how those watershed moments become a part of our identity rather than a defining factor. Wow. So we're excited. We're excited. I'm excited. It's our first baby. It's our first baby. It's our first baby. And that. it's been a really long labor at this point, Sean. So I'm uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm hoping we, we have a nice like kind of place to tie the bow and let the rest of our team continue on while, while we get ready to literally birth our first child, our true first child. So uh, that's exciting. But yeah, we're super excited. Wow. Mallory, I'm curious, could you talk about the Paralympic community, uh, what you love about it and the impact it's yeah. had on you? You know, Paralympic sport is like Jay was saying, right? Sports, this common language, it unifies. And, and I think what's really neat about sport is it transcends the field of play. And we see that on and on and on in basically every sport, whether it's in the Olympic movement, the Paralympic movement, whether it's professional league sports, whatever it might be, where we realize that it's this catalyst to have a larger conversation. And so when you look at the Paralympics, you know, yes, first and foremost, it's elite athleticism, right? Like we devote years of our lives to the singular moment, just like our Olympic counterparts do. And you have the intensity that comes with that, but you also realize that what you do on the field of play is about something so much bigger than any singular performance. And I think that that's where the power of it comes in. And for us in the Paralympic movement specifically, there's values that align obviously with, with our Olympic counterparts and just the games experience and the movement as an entirety. But then on the Paralympic side, there's this added layer of the fact that we are also representative of the 15% of our global population that lives with a disability. We can have this conversation about disability representation and equity and, and all of those elements of it as athletes on this field of play. And so I think that when you look at Paralympic sport, for me, that's where I get so excited about it because it is, it, it's transcending the field of play and having this much needed conversation, not just domestically in the U.S., but globally around how we view disability. And I think there's something so powerful, obviously as somebody who's passionate about sport, but utilizing sport as the way to literally flip the narrative on its head. It's like, you know, you watch wheelchair rugby and, and most of these guys that play wheelchair rugby, they're quads and they are literally crashing into each other. They've, they've coined it as murder ball. Like they're going after one another. But yet if you see one of them wheel through the grocery store, it's like, oh my gosh, they probably need help grabbing their line. No. And they're like, no, I'm about to rip your head off because <laughs> like, that's what's in my DNA. And so it's yeah. so funny because there's just this, this element where it can show versus tell and completely shift the narrative and perception 
by utilizing the power and entertainment value that sport carries. And, and I love that about it. And I, I've loved that from the beginning because for me personally, it did that. I mean, gosh, being exposed to the movement just a few months after my paralysis is probably the thing that saved my life to be completely honest. I mean, I was just out of the hospital, went to the university of Minnesota pool, didn't even know the Paralympics existed, looked onto the pool deck that night and realized that there's this whole world out there. And for me, it was just this element of a path forward, whether I ever became a Paralympian or not of just showcasing what is possible. And I think for so long, society made me feel like living life with a disability was just a consolation prize to the life that could have been versus a version of life that could have been fuller and better than I ever even imagined possible initially. And so I think that's where it's so neat to see how it's played out. And obviously for me now, it's a big part of me. I'm training for what will hopefully become my fourth Paralympic games. And, you know, it's a part of the two of us in our personal life, our business. It's also a part of how our child is going to be raised. Um, but my, my big passion, very similar to what Jay said is seeing the power it has to transcend the field of play and serve as a catalyst to make substantial change in our society for how we perceive disability. Fun fact, we, I've never been more humbled in my life. We had the opportunity to play wheelchair rugby. (laughs) That is no joke. We were on opposite teams with each other. I wasn't playing. I didn't get the invite. Oh, you didn't play? At the Invictus Games, no, it looked like a blast, though. <laughs> it was <clears throat> very humbling. Major yeah. props. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, there's it's like any, right? You go and do a different sport. Or I've, I've jumped in a wheelchair basketball and tried to, like, yeah. shoot a hoop. Let's just say all of us as athletes, yeah. you're reminded why you have the sport <laughs> in your life that you have. Because yeah, you have these moments sport. where you're like, yeah. Nope. That that's not my strength. I'm going to go back to the black line where yeah. I can do my thing. Yeah. But it is. It's a. Uh, it's so neat too. The more that we have, I mean, programs like Invictus Games, right? Like, the more programming we have, the more exposure we have, and the more appreciation we have. I think for so long, Paralympic athletes were looked at as like, if you have a disability and you like sport, you go to the Paralympic Games. And I'm like, yeah. Oh God, if only it were that easy. Like, no, yeah. you you have to be an elite athlete to make it to the Paralympic games. And this is not just like, Oh, you happen to have a disability and you like to play whatever sport it is. Then obviously you're going to be on the Paralympic team. Um, And so that's been, I think great too, to the conversation of power of media. We're seeing more of what the journey actually takes and we're realizing it literally is parallel and it mirrors the journey of any elite athlete. And, and there's a lot more respect for that now, which is really cool to see. Which one? Too many now. Um, okay, last question. With little one almost here, what's given your guys' journey together? What's the one piece of advice you would tell them now? You go first. Why do I always have to go first? <laughs> <laughs> Stop. Uh, one piece of advice. So I'll make it a short story. Um Every night since transfer, so our transfer was in July, we have read to Little One a book called You Belong Here. And I think that the one thing that I would tell our soon-to-be, well, our little one, soon-to-be 
whoever they are, I don't know if it's a little girl or a little boy, but I suppose whoever they are is just this idea that you do belong here. Like you are worthy and it is not your job to carry other people's insecurities. It is your job to be the fullest version of yourself. And I think that's something that we could all use to learn and something that we both certainly have learned and something that I hope our child and or if there's more children in the future are able to learn from a very early age so they don't have to carry that burden. And I'll piggyback off that is the ability to live in the simultaneous. So the ability to live with really hard season, but to find levity and joy in every single day. And whether that's dancing, throwing some music on in the kitchen and we love to dance and just throw on a little Spotify and we're dancing, even though that day we got some really hard news or it's a really stressful period of time, live in the simultaneous because we can do it. You can do it. And um, that's, I think that's the best piece of advice. Yeah. Wow. I'm a fan of you too. And uh, couldn't be more excited for your next couple months here. It's a fun ride. It's a wild ride. And I think you guys will thrive given how you've responded to everything that's happened in, in your life uh, to date. So thank you for joining us. And we look forward to staying in touch and seeing how it goes for you. Absolutely. Thank well, you Thank you so for much. having us. And hopefully we'll see you down in Nashville at some point. With a little yeah. Let's go. I can't wait. Yeah. yeah. We, uh, we do. I've obviously followed you, Sean, for years. And now the two of you and seen you guys' journey as a family unit, which is so fun to follow. <laughs> and I think that it's really fun to see you said we need more good parents in this world. Like, obviously, we only know what we see on social, right? Every Everybody has their behind the scenes story and struggles and all of those things. But it is so fun to see the two of you as parents and to see your littles grow and the type of little humans they're growing into. It's, it's pretty cool. And it's the reminder that we have a generation of people that are working really hard to be the parents we want filled in our world. And uh, you guys are certainly doing that. So thank you for having us. It's uh, a good mom. We've uh, been excited to talk to you guys. So this has been awesome. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you. Well, thank you guys. All right, real quick for all of those listening out there, we don't ask for a lot of favors, I don't think, babe, do we? No. But we're going to ask you a favor today, all right? If you're listening to Couple Things Podcasts on Apple Podcasts specifically, will you please do us this short, quick favor? We want to make sure you're staying up to date with our show, and Apple's latest iOS update has paused downloads for many listeners, and some of you have expressed our latest episodes aren't being recommended to you on Apple Podcasts anymore. So here's how to make sure you're getting your episode. And again, this is for Apple Podcasts specifically. Open up that podcast app on your iPhone. Search Couple Things and tap Our Shows icon. And then in the top right corner, you might see a plus follow symbol. If you do, tap it to resume following the show. If you get a prompt to, quote, turn on automatic downloads, say yes. That way, you'll get all of the episodes. Thank you so much, guys. We're so glad this update was brought to our attention because we want to make sure we're reaching as many of you as we can. Love y'all, and we really appreciate you doing this.